1: I didn't really have a good sense of who I was or even what I liked because as a peacemaker what I wanted was never about me, it was always about making sure that the alcoholic didn't get angry at me or the rest of the family. So an interesting part of my psychological makeup was just making sure that everyone else around me was happy. So what did I want? I actually didn't know.
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Raymond TMO was raised in a dysfunctional alcoholic family in New Zealand, and he says his role in that family was to be the peacemaker. Also, that he was so focused on making others happy that he lost track of who he was and what he wanted. Raymond has written about this and other challenges he's faced in his book, The Rising Road, Learning from Life's Trials and Trails. Today, we'll hear Raymond's story and how God has helped him overcome many difficulties. He's having a chat with Karen Hunt and is joining us from his home in Emerald, Queensland.
2: Tell us firstly, Raymond, about your early years in New Zealand.
1: Karen, I was born in uh, New Zealand in a family where my father was an alcoholic. In fact, I shouldn't have even been born. I had an abscess on my lung when I was just born and they had to remove half of one lung. So I've been walking around with a lung and a half since I've been born. So the fact that uh, I'm even here is a small miracle in itself. Absolutely. So yes, grew up in an alcoholic family and look, I know some of the struggles that people who are born in alcoholic families have to go through and as a result, it changed who I was or what I could have been as a child.
2: So Raymond, how many siblings are there, you and how many others in your family?
1: I've got an older brother and a younger sister, all of whom now live in Australia. Um, my brother's married, lives in the Sunshine Coast and my sister is also married, but she lives in Victoria.
2: And so you as the middle boy, the alcoholism that you're speaking of within your family, was that all you knew as a child or were there younger years when you were free from that? Or
1: No, actually I, I always knew that growing up and it wasn't until I was around 15 that my father stopped drinking. But yes, up until that point, that really was all I knew and understood about the world.
2: What did it look like for you? How did it affect you specifically?
1: Well, we take on roles in in alcoholic families, and one of mine was the peacemaker. So as the peacemaker, my job was to ensure that the alcoholic, at that time my father, was didn't get upset at us all the time, Mm. because when he got upset, we usually got punished for it. So it was quite a thing to take on that role from an early age and then bring that through to 15 years of age.
2: Okay, so tell us, when you were 15, that's quite a tumultuous time for any adolescent boy, 14, 15. What happened then?
1: Well, when I was 15, I went along with a friend to a Christian youth camp in New Zealand, and uh, I it was the first time I'd really heard about God, or first time I'd heard that there was a Father who didn't abuse you or say horrible things to you. And I I learned about someone who I could begin to put trust in. So, mm. but it wasn't a straightaway occurrence either. I had to go back a few times for that to actually happen for me. I didn't become a Christian straight away. So who was, who
2: dragged you along to the camp? Were you dragged along I, or
1: no? Uh, I just wanted another alternative because it was during a school holiday. And if I'd stayed at home, Mm. then things would have just remained the way they were. So it was a form of escape for me.
2: Yes. And so coming away from that very first camp, what was the impact that that tangibly had on you?
1: Well, I guess I was a bit shaken. I was shaken because I saw people who actually cared about each other. That was a, a huge thing for me. And by care about each other, I mean actually spoke nicely to each other. Really the only time we were spoken to in my family was when we'd either done something wrong or when we were told to do something. I didn't grow up necessarily with a lot of talking, especially from my father's side. Mm -hmm. My mother was the one who tried to look after us as best she could because as a codependent person, she was in a relationship and she felt like she couldn't do without Dad. And so he kept coming back as a result. Mm -hmm. So it was really a strong impression I had of people caring for each other. One of the few times actually that I saw... Uh, one male hug another male and it was all okay. So, you know, I would never had any of that sort of thing growing up but um, what I found interesting was I started making friends there too and so consecutively for the next, say, three years I'd try to go back as often as I could to that particular camp and meet up with these friends who were from all over New Zealand not just from the town I was from. So it was really nice catching up and that started to make a difference for me.
2: That was like community for you. That was family in itself, yeah?
1: Yes, and it was a family that I felt I had been a part of and that I had created because I made an effort with those people. Mm. To catch up and a lot of the leaders on the camp Like I've heard people undermine Christian youth camps You know, they're really noisy, they're this, they're that But you should never really underestimate Christian youth camps Especially for teens who are strongly looking to connect with someone mm. Who may be out of their immediate family or their immediate uh, mm. friendship group
2: How special and something to look forward to every holidays. Yes, I'm going back where I belong, where I feel safe, yeah?
1: That's exactly right, it was a great place
2: so tell me, in your teenage years, what were you good at? What did you love? Let's get some positive here.
1: Oh, what was I good at? Um, well, I was good at writing. Yes. Um, I was good at English. It was probably my best subject at school. And I know not a lot of people can say that, but I really loved it. I won a few awards and competitions. And after the age of 15, I decided to try my hand at drama, amateur drama, theatre in school. And as a result, I was in a number of plays and competitions, actually, in regard to my drama and on-stage work. But that was really just the start because that started to give me things like confidence to get up and speak, even though I am inherently an introvert.
2: (laughs) That's fairly common, though, with actors and actresses and theatrical thespian types. Was it like a release for you, taking on characters? And...
1: Absolutely. And what I loved about it was not only that I got to perform, but yes, taking on the role of another person mm-hmm. who was outside my actual person was actually really quite an interesting way to go through my teenagehood.
2: So when you finished high school, is that what you
1: pursued then? Interestingly enough, I ended up going to university, not something I felt I was going to ever get to, but I went to university in New Zealand and I did try my hand at doing drama at university, especially one of my favourite types of acting is improv theatre. So that's making it up on the spot on stage Mm -hmm. with very little time. That was actually one of my favourites. So I did some of that and I even did it at Summer Harvest, a New Zealand Christian festival where they invite bands from around New Zealand, Australia and around the world to come and sing. Mm And they also have some side entertainments and I was in some of those as well doing my acting. So that improv theatre was a lot of fun.
2: So education and becoming an English teacher, was that a natural progression?
1: Absolutely not. In fact, teaching the last thing I was thinking about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
2: where, where did you hope it would take you?
1: Well, I, I really didn't have a goal and I think that this is one of those dots I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have a goal for life because of my background and my growing up in the family that I did, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really have a good sense of who I was or even what I liked because as a peacemaker, what I wanted was never about me. It was always about making sure that the alcoholic didn't get angry at me or the rest of the family. So an interesting part with my psychological makeup was just making sure that everyone else around me was happy. So what did I want? I actually didn't know. I think that, that, again, this is one of those dots that God put in my way. He just said, look, this is something that's going to be beneficial for you later on, even though it doesn't seem like something that you'd like to do now. But I pursued it, and it took me about 10 years to actually finish my degree. Now, that seems really strange, but it was a continuous up, down, up, down, up, down. Did I really want it? Did I not? Did I want it? Did I not? That indecisiveness, I suppose, was the thing that I have struggled with, the indecision of, of doing things. In saying that, I have made some real progress in respect to making decisions and, and doing things now. So
2: out of my own curiosity, the indecision based on fear of not wanting to keep going or what is it about that that tricks you up?
1: That's it's a good question. And that's one that I've been wrestling with. And I, I think it's an indecision to not be wrong Uh Um, I know that in the past or even as a young person I would choose not to do something because I didn't want to get it wrong sometimes it was better not to try at all Mm. than to try something and make a mistake Mm. so for some reason as a child growing up perfectionism was my weakness I suppose Mm. everything had to be perfect otherwise it was never going to work I've since learned that that is a very strange way to think. That's something uh, that I've had to work on a lot. I'm a firm believer that the Bible is the be-all end-all of everything that I need to know. But if you wouldn't mind, I'd just like to read out Joshua chapter one, verses just five to seven. Should do. Sure, go for it. Um, it. Says this: No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. And be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. That's one of what I call my life verses. That life verse has been the basis of my resilience. Just knowing that God has made promises to us. God's made promises to me that he won't leave me or forsake me, no matter what happens. All I need to do is to be strong and of good courage because he's got a promise that he's going to give me something more. And that if I am strong and courageous and I do everything that is commanded of me in the Bible and I don't turn from the right hand to the left, that I'm going to prosper. Now, this isn't, for me, this isn't the prosperity doctrine. This is just a promise that God's going to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of the time, growing up, I, I had to rely on other people to do things for me buy the groceries, do this, do that. And as a result, I had to wait around for other people to do things. And because I had to wait for other people to do things before I could do something, I began to live my life that way. And so my decision making was all based on what other people wanted rather than what I needed because there was no such thing as what I needed. It was all about people pleasing. But that's not what this verse says. This verse says, you need to do it. And if you do this, you're gonna be okay.
0: You're listening to The Story. Today, Karen Hunt is chatting with Raymond Tiamo, who's the author of the book, The Rising Road, Learning from Life's Trials and Trails. We've just heard about some of the challenges Raymond faced growing up in an alcoholic family in New Zealand. Next, we'll hear more of his story and about some challenges he faced living in Saudi Arabia with his wife and kids. All that and more is coming up. When we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1 800 Pray For Me. That's 1 800 772 936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is the story. Our guest today is Raymond Tiamo, who's originally from New Zealand. Before the break, Raymond shared about some of the challenges he's faced in his childhood, growing up in an alcoholic family, trying hard not to make his dad angry. Next, we'll hear about his adult years as he continues his chat with Karen Hunt.
2: Raymond. In looking at your book, The Rising Road, Learning from Life's Trials and Trails, Heather comes into your life, you travel overseas, she's a missionary teacher, you're involved in the Gulf area. Is there a particular defining life event in your travels where you had God meet you right where you were and you were able to overcome, be resilient, get through? Can you give us a specific story?
1: Well, when I was in uh, Saudi Arabia, I had, uh, for some reason or another, the school I was with was unable to employ me. So I was in a foreign country, absolutely no no welfare system that they have over there, especially not for people from the Western world, Mm -hmm. and I had no job. So now I'm a qualified teacher in another country, making no money, and my wife is the only one that can work with three children. Mm. And I'm thinking, my goodness, God, what, what am I doing now? And I felt God strongly say to me, well, what can you do? It's not about what you can't do, it's what can you do? So you can't work, we get that, but what can you do? And I said, well, maybe I could become a house dad. And so I became a house dad for a year while I struggled to find a job and Saudi Arabia. So I, I have to tell you, that was a good idea because my daughter would get home from kindergarten and then we'd sit down and watch uh, Barbie movies together. So <laughs> if you need to know anything about Barbie movies completely, I know everything. How In precious. fact, I had an argument I had an argument with one of my students at high school about which was the best Barbie movie. <laughs> um, so yes, I've seen every single one of them. Um, On your now, dad. <laughs> Yeah. So we'd do that when she got home from kindergarten, and I took on the role of house dad. So I would clean, cook, do the whole thing, and it worked. Of course, after a year, I did find a job, but I I had to travel away to a city that was an hour and a half away. Mm. I didn't do that every day, so they provided me with an apartment there Mm. um, from where I lived. I worked in a place called Jeddah, which is right next to the Red Sea. In fact, The apartment we were staying in in Saudi Arabia, the Red Sea, was about 50 metres away from us. Mm. So we were that close to the ocean Mm. uh, on the west coast of Saudi Arabia. It's really, really exciting stuff and it's very interesting, lovely people.
2: Raymond, when you say we, so your wife, Heather, your three kids, how old were the other two kids at that stage?
1: So a kindergarten Uh, uh, daughter and... We managed to have them two years apart. So, uh, you know, we were quite clever in that. So she... uh, My daughter was four, then that would have made my second son six and my oldest son eight. They were all attending the school that my wife taught at at that time.
2: What a special experience for those young kids.
1: Yes, it's interesting because it turns them into what they call third culture kids. Mm. I don't know if you've heard the term before, Mm. but uh, third culture kids, they're technically Kiwis, but my wife and I were working in Australia when they were born. So they were born in Australia. Yes but they're actually Kiwi kids. But then most of their, well, at least half of their lives, they were growing up in other countries. So for six years of their life, they grew up in the Middle East. So uh, they come back and they've taken on the culture of three completely different cultures.
2: So, Raymond, what brought you back to Australia?
1: Oh, coming back to Australia was more about the education of our children. So uh, my second son, he suffers with mild ASD. That's mm-hmm. aut- He's on the uh, autism spectrum disorder. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we made a decision to come back because in Saudi Arabia, even though there are disabilities within the culture and within the community it's not recognized which means that they have no educational institutions Mm -hmm. that can actually help students with special needs um so that was one of the reasons that we came back uh the second one was we wanted to come back to be closer to family Mm -hmm. i did manage to catch up with my mother before she passed but I was not able to come back for the funeral because of the rules of coming and leaving the country That's at hard. the time. It was very difficult, so I had to miss out on my own mother's funeral. But I have since been back to see my father and um, my brother and sister since then. Yes, we, we got back in at the start of two thousand and nineteen. Um, I I applied for a job as soon as I landed on the second of January. It got my name into a an employment agency and they found me a job here in Emerald. So on the 4th of January, wow. I packed up all of my bags, mm-hmm. and a few of them, and then we actually had, again, this is one of those God moments, Karen, where we had friends who we'd met in Saudi Arabia who said, well, we've got lots of our stuff in storage, and uh, we would like to give you all of our things. Mm-hmm. So we ended up with a couch and a microwave and a fridge and freezer and a... Um, just the generosity of people knowing that we'd come back and we actually had very little. We were waiting on a payment to come through, our final payment from our respective jobs in Saudi Arabia. And, in fact, my wife stayed for another six months because if she had left earlier, they would not have paid her her final leaving money, let's say.
2: So you came back with the kids?
1: Uh, I came back with the two boys. Yes. Yes. And so, again, I was house dad for six more months. Yeah. That worked. Yep. And uh, I got them into school here in Emerald. It's been a real blessing. And also being a part of our church has been a real blessing as well. We've managed to just grow where we've been planted. Mm. So
2: give a shout out to your church. Which church
1: is it? Absolutely. Calvary Church in Emerald. Mm -hmm. And uh, our pastor is Pastor Wade. Um, We love them so much. They've been a real blessing to us. And um, we've tried to give back as much as possible because we're firm believers in giving. My wife and I, we consider that as one of our ministries, is to give. It doesn't matter what we give, just whatever we can, when we can. We firmly believe in that.
2: Are you working in a public school or?
1: I'm working in a private school, It's a Christian college here. And I've been there for the last three years and I really love it. It's a really nice place to work.
2: And your wife, is she in the same field?
1: Uh, She is a teacher, yes. She's more of a primary school teacher, but currently she's working at a state school.
2: How old are your kids now?
1: My oldest son, oh, well, he's fourteen. Uh, Twelve this is my second son, and my daughter is now ten. We made it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Absolutely, and you know what? The the trials and the trails. There are still more yet to come, as I'm sure you fully realise. Let's come back to your book at the moment and give a plug for your book, The Rising Road: Learning from Life's Trials and Trails. Raymond is. Uh, An English teacher and an author tends to come naturally as a result of that, but you've travelled a journey. You've told us just a few little bits and pieces about it. So what would be your greatest plug to encourage people to consider getting their hands on this book
1: of yours? Um, Yes. Well, anyone want to read it? Well, it's for basically anyone who has either been through a trial and and they've gained something from that for someone who may be going through a trial at the moment. uh, And especially those people, and as we all know with COVID, things are really struggling. Um, Some businesses are really struggling as well. And, you know, what do we do in the midst of all that? Well, for me, the message for my book is trust God Mm. because he's made promises and he wants us to trust him. It's also for people who are about to go through a trial and don't even know it. So Mm -hmm. so if you've been through a trial, going through one or going to go through one, this book is for you. So basically anyone...
2: Excellent. Well, Raymond, it's been great to get to know you just a little bit. And uh, love to your wife, Heather, your kids, your community in Emerald there. And I think God has so much more yet in store to come that you don't even know about. So God bless you abundantly as you keep treading out that road.
1: Thank you, Karen, and thank you for your time today.
2: You're welcome. That
0: was Karen Hunt chatting with Raymond T.M.O., who's the author of the book, The Rising Road, Learning from Life's Trials and Trails. And as we've heard... Raymond has been able to overcome many obstacles in life with God's help. He shared he'd been greatly guided in his life by Bible verses, where God talks to Joshua and says, I will be with you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and very courageous, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go." For Raymond, coming from an alcoholic family and being confused about life, these Bible verses provided guidance and comfort as they clearly let him know what God wants him to do to be successful and that his Heavenly Father would always be there for him, never leaving or forsaking him. And these promises are available for you as well. Maybe you can relate to Raymond's childhood and have come from a dysfunctional home and now you're seeking the same kind of guidance and comfort. Why not put your faith in god today if you'd like to talk to someone about that or pray about having a personal relationship with god our prayer line is open 24 hours seven days a week 1-800 pray for me is the number that's 1-800-772-936 we'd love to pray with you on that number 1-800-772-936 well thanks for joining us for raymond's story i'm jimmy colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today. The Story, story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life.